goes into places in the world that their culture is really different than our culture, even the Bible culture. Like there are places in Indonesia where people had never seen sheep before. And so when the translators and the people who presented the gospel were trying to explain sheep, they realized this is not going to make any sense to people. So they changed the translation to say Jesus is the great pig herder. I thought that was funny. I thought it would be unusual to think Jesus is the pig herder. <laughs> okay. So, uh, today I want to t- we're, we're going through Ephesians chapter 4, and we're gonna, we're gonna, there's a lot of really, really interesting subjects in there, and we're going to go f- uh, through chapter 4, 5, and 6 throughout the summer, and today we're talking about anger. I'm, I'm, I'm calling what we're talking about today a primer on anger, because we could, there's a lot to say about the whole issue of anger. Let me, let me tell you a story, true story. Uh, I say true story because every once in a while I get one of those uh, examples that uh, someone texts me later and says, you know, that was on scopes.com, that's, that that's an urban legend that you told us was true. So I'm telling you this is a true story because I was there when it happened. Uh, about 15, 16 years ago, I was, I was driving, uh, I picked up my youngest daughter, Bethany, from school. And uh, it was over off in, in the North Columbus area. It was off... Uh, you know, side street. So I'm driving along. As I'm driving along, uh, making my way to I-71 to get on it and go down to my exit, there's, uh, uh, I'm, you know, it's, it's kind of congested. It's right after school, and there's buses and stuff. And there's a guy on my tail who is riding me. I thought I was towing him. He was, he was driving so close to me. And, you know, after a while, it kind of gets annoying. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, you have this inner dialogue. Hey, you know, what's the rush? You know, I can't go any faster than the car in front of me. You know, you go through all those things. Well, we, we uh, go across Oakland Park, and I turn left to go down to get on the freeway, and he's, like, really, really anxious to get somewhere. And it finally just got to the, my last nerve. And so uh, I, I just start slowing down, okay? I just start slowing down. And all the cars are getting on the freeway, and I'm going slower. And the guy, you know, the guy's, like, he's going like this to get around me like NASCAR, you know? And I'm slowing down, and then I start speeding up, you know, and, 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 I, I, and then I hit my brake. Ooh. Now, I learned a lot from this experience. I just want to tell you in a moment when it starts going south, you're going to think, oh, boy, John, you're like, this is like something they should, it's a scene from a made-for-TV movie. So uh, I figured, okay, I got my point across, you know, and the guy draws around, you know, and he's, you know, he goes past me, I kind of look at him, and he's like, He's, he's gesturing to me, and uh, he gets on the freeway. I, I just get on the freeway. You know, I have to go a couple exits, and I, and I pull off. He'd gotten off at the same exit. I'm not following him, right? I'm just getting off at Hudson. I pull, I pull up right behind him, and I'm sitting there thinking, and, I, and as I'm pulling up behind him, I'm thinking, okay, I'm not going to pull up right behind him. I don't want him to get the wrong signal about this. This is complete accident. And so I'm, you know, I'm about five car lengths behind him, and, and the lights, I'm kind of trying to time it so the light turns green. The light's not turning green. It's red, Hudson Street. And I'm creeping, and cars are coming behind me, and someone's honking. So I kind of speed up, and I get up to where he is, and I stop, and I see him go like this. I can see his head look in the mirror, and I see him reach over like this and do this. He opens the car door. He comes in, and he's got a, he's, all he's got, no gun, <laughs> all he's got is a screwdriver. Well, 
you know, screwdriver. So he comes up to my car, and, and, he, and he's yelling. Like, he's coming, and he comes up to my car, and he's yelling at me. And, and Bethany, my daughter's in the seat next to me. And he starts banging, like, like on the, you know, the, the handle of the screwdriver on the window of my car, and he's yelling, ah, 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 ah. You know, and I'm just kind of, it was weird. I, it was like it was all happening in slow motion. I'm looking at him, I'm just thinking, this isn't really happening, you know? <laughs> Is this really happening to me? And he's, he's just hitting the, the windshield. And I'm, I'm thinking he's trying to break it. And I don't know if he's trying to break it or he's just frustrated. But he does it like eight or ten times. And then and people start honking, you know, like around me. People go, no, no, we don't want to see this. You know, they're honking. And I'm sitting there. I'm just, it was weird. It was really calm. And my daughter's freaking out. Okay, she starts crying and freaking out. And then all of a sudden I realize the gravity of the moment. Wow. This could be one of those news stories. You know, and right then the guy just stops and he, he says, I'm going to, you know, you're lucky I'm not killing you, you, you know, whatever. He walks, goes back to his car, and people are just honking, sitting on their horns. And I don't know if they're trying to scare the guy off. They're, you know, we're gonna, I'm just starting a trigger of road rage events behind me. We drive, and, I'm, and so I let the guy, he turns right, right where I'm going. I go straight. <laughs> I didn't even go to my house. I go straight going, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to have another event with the same guy. So, you know, I, I pull over in the, the Lowe's parking lot, and Bethy's crying, and she said, Dad, that man could have killed you. And, you know, I, I didn't, I wasn't afraid, but it was probably because I was naive. I just never experienced that. Now, l- let me ask you a question. Do you think, honestly, that that whole situation was just because I drove slow or bumped my red light? No, right? He's, he, he, you know, he was caring. He, he was already frustrated because he, you could tell he was right behind me. He had to get somewhere. And I've been in that frame of mind, not that frame of mind, but I've been frustrated and angry because I had to get somewhere and it felt pressure, right? Anybody else identify with that? But this is the issue about anger. This is why Paul, in this section we're going to read, it's just a couple of verses. But it, it's surprising what Paul says about anger. And if you read books on anger, I, I, I skimmed through some books this week on anger to see what you know, people, like an Amazon, a library. And actually, people who write about how to manage anger have some pretty good insights about it. Uh, but the average person doesn't seem to have grasped a lot of the insights that are out there about anger. And Many of them are pretty consistent with what Paul says, but Paul adds something about anger that you don't read anywhere else, really. So what I want to do today is give you a primer on how do you deal with anger. How do you deal with anger? So if you have a Bible with you, open it to chapter 4 of Ephesians, and we're going to start reading at verse uh, 26. I'll read the passage to you, and I'm just going to tell you three things Paul says, and we're going to unpack them. Verse 26, 426. If you don't have a Bible and you want to read one, because uh, we're going to look at a couple of different verses. Under the chair seat in front of you, there are paperback Bibles you, you can follow along. We're page 813 if you're using one of those. It says, Paul says, In your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And don't give the devil a foothold. So, let me repeat it. He says, In your anger, don't sin. And don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, and don't give the devil a foothold. So, uh, I'm going to rephrase it. He's saying three things. 
First one, he says that anger is normal, which, you know, I think on some level, most people know it's normal because we all experience it. Two, he says that out of control, anger is dangerous. And I think most people agree with that, but I don't think we, we've thought very deeply about either of those two points. And then the third thing he says is, he, he, in this phrase, don't let the sun go down on your anger, it's sort of a cryptic phrase. And I think he's pointing to something that, that all those who were following Jesus and all of us know about, but we don't necessarily see how it connects with how to deal with anger. So, anger is normal. Now, I think there's two mistaken notions about anger. Sometimes people feel, because of our environment, how we were raised, that anger is bad. That just anger is just bad. You shouldn't be angry. You should feel guilty if you get anger. In fact, if you were like, uh, you know, like Buddhism teaches that anger is, is really wrong. Uh, Jesus got angry. There was a, there's many situations where Jesus became angry, and yet his anger was expressed out of love. Anger is normal. Once Jesus was in a synagogue, and he had it in his mind to pray for a man who had this birth defect, and he had a, he had a, 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 like a, a withered hand, but it was on the Sabbath, hence he was in the synagogue. And he knew that he was already getting a lot of pushback from the Pharisees, the, the religious people and the leaders, because he healed people on the Sabbath. He did things on the Sabbath that in their tradition you weren't supposed to do. So he looks around at them and he asks them this question, I won't go into the whole dialogue, but they respond real poorly. And it says he looks at them and he was angry, and it's the same word that Paul uses here, he was angry at the hardness of their hearts that their hearts were hardened. They didn't care about this man. They just cared about their rules. And their rules were not God's rules. They were traditions. But they had, become, they had begun to treat their traditions like it was God's word. And there's a difference. So Paul, Paul says, anger is okay. You can be angry and not sin. But then some of us feel like anger is justified. If I feel angry, it's justified. It's okay. We have a justification for it in our minds. And it's, the truth is, not all anger is justified. Do you understand? But you just said, John, that anger is normal and healthy. It is. But Paul said, when you're angry, don't sin. So what he's saying is some anger can become sinful. It can be morally wrong. It can be morally unjustified. That's a hard thing when you're angry to consider. It really is. But, but Paul's making that point here. Now, he, in this, in this section we're reading, and you won't see it in this moment, he puts alongside one another love and anger. And in our minds, it's really hard for us to put those two things together. Because anger feels so oh, difficult. And, and, you know, it's just, it's not a pleasant feeling, is it? People don't write songs about feeling angry. And like in a, in a pleasant uh, context. But Paul says love and anger can be right alongside each other. We see it in Jesus who is love incarnate. And I think we have ground to take back here when we talk about love and anger. Uh, we'll get into that. So, so anger is normal, but there's, you know, it, it, it does require some reflection to make a distinction between 
uh, righteous anger and unrighteous anger. The second thing he says is, out of control anger is dangerous. He says, when you let the sun go down in your anger, and he didn't mean that literally, but what he means is, if, if you get angry, and you don't reflect on that anger, and sort it out, and you let it just sink into your soul, it will begin to damage you, and it will begin to damage other people. And what he says is, that if we let the sun go down in our anger, if we keep allowing anger to get stirred up within us, and we don't reflect on it, and we don't learn to distinguish between righteous and unrighteous anger, and we don't deal appropriately with unrighteous anger, he says we give the devil, and you know the devil is, it's this, this powerful, smart, spiritual being, we give him a foothold. Now, what does that word foothold mean? He says foothold. Now, your translations might say something else. What it means is it's used in the New Testament over and over and over and over, and I'll give you two examples, is it means an inhabitable space, an inhabitable space. Now, I mentioned this before, so I don't have to belabor it, but when, when the gospel tells a story of Mary and Joseph going back to their hometown for the census when Mary was pregnant and about to deliver Jesus, it says they couldn't find a place to stay in, in Bethlehem. And that word place or room is the same word. And then later on, when Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm going to leave, you know, in John 14, I'm gonna, and I'm going to return to the Father, they were sad, but he said, don't be sad. You know, if I leave, I will return. I, if I leave, I go to prepare a place for you. That when I return, I will take you to that place. That's the same word. It's an inhabitable place. So what he's saying is, if we don't deal with anger, we give the devil the keys to our life. We just go, here, come and fool around in my house. Do stuff, whatever you want. And it doesn't mean we're not a believer anymore. It just means we've foolishly exposed ourselves to a, 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 a personality that's powerful and that whose, whose job is to steal, kill, and destroy. Now here's something, I'll give you just a few consequences. He takes advantage of our unaddressed anger to silently sow destruction in our lives. I'm just going to give you seven things that unaddressed anger does. <clears throat> I could give you 170 from my experience. Unaddressed anger often makes us deny or suppress our angry feelings. If you don't, if you don't deal with your out-of-control anger, it will begin to create this habit in you of denying it and ignoring it and suppressing it. it, it, it the, the one thing about sin, which is not a popular word today, but the one thing about sin and selfishness is it's, it's not only addictive, but it's progressive. And it begets other things. Last week we talked about how Paul started this whole discussion and conversation with, with the Christians in this, in this area called Ephesus. He talked about truth and how important truth is and being honest. And we talked about how hard it is for all of us to be honest, that we all lie. And, but that we don't have to lie. We don't have to be gripped by fear and lie the way that we typically do. If we know that God's your father and that we're a beloved child of God, he'll provide for us. But he says here, and, and you'll see these things start linking together, and you see how all these things, yeah, that's in my life. I mean, I, I think as you read through this, you're going to look at this and say, 
I'm stuck on all these. Every one of these, to some degree, is at work in my life because they, they kind of interact with each other. And this whole thing of anger, if we give in to out-of-control anger, it turbocharges future anger. You know what I mean? It turbocharges it. So if I don't deal with my anger now, the next time I get anger, angry, I'm going to be angrier because I'm starting angry already. And then whatever provokes me is going to be supercharged. And then it's just going to keep working up. And then pretty soon, you got a screwdriver in your hand and you're banging on the window of a stranger on the exit off-ramp at Hudson Avenue. And you've, many of you have had that little experience of your own, not with a screwdriver, but where you have blown up and you've, you've verbally thrown up on someone else, right? We've all done that. That's why this is so relevant to each one of us. It hardens our hearts. When you suppress anger and you don't deal with it, it starts hardening your heart. And if you've ever wondered why you don't have compassion or you have less than you'd like to have, this is often the silent reason. Because if you don't resolve your anger at a circumstance and at a person, as we'll see, that anger is just going to keep going on, and it's going to, everyone who meets you is going to encounter it, and everyone who you meet is, is going to be part of that anger that's just there. And you forget about it. You can feel great. You can go from singing a song in your radio, you know, you're driving along, you're, you're singing in a radio, and someone does something, and you're, bah! you go from happy to hell, Right? Because, it, it, and it's not because what they did is just so bad. It's because you're carrying around this unresolved anger. I mean, can you see, is anybody starting to feel, this isn't a feel-good teaching. I, I just, I, I should have said that in the very beginning. Another thing it does, it breeds malice in our hearts towards people who hurt us. It's one thing to feel hurt and angry at them, but unresolved and unreflected on anger will start breeding malice in your heart. You want people to suffer. You, you, you start having thoughts about people that you never had before, and you go, what's going on with me? If you don't look at this, you're not going to ever figure that out. And you're not going to become the compassionate person that you want to be. You can't be compassionate and have unresolved anger in your life. They will work against each other. It tempts us to withdraw from others. When we're angry, one of the things that we do is we start withdrawing from people. We find our own little castle and we, fill, we dig a moat around it. We fill it with piranha and alligators and sharks and landmines. And then we pour poison in there too, you know, just in case. And then we pour some acid in there in case someone wants to wade across. We start withdrawing because this is what happens to us. Instead of staying engaged... We withdraw, and we wonder, why do I just binge watch reality TV? Why do I binge watch these things? Why don't I connect with people? Because I've got stuff inside me that makes me avoid people. This is one of the, the consequences of this. And, and this is, it, it, unresolved anger will, will, will surprisingly kill sexual desire in marriage. Sexless marriages are way, way, way more common than you'd think. And a lot of times, they're about anger that people have. And it isn't necessarily towards each other, although that's common too. 
just out of control anger will kill sexual desire because intimacy is something that we avoid when we have a lot of anger inside us that we're not even aware of. And this is another kind of intimacy. You could, you could take this simple insight I've given you, you could apply it in a hundred different ways. That's all I'm trying to, to do. And this is <laughs> anger that you, don't, that you don't resolve will empower you in a really sick way. It's a, you know, when, when we're not assertive enough, anger can kind of like, you know, how if you get a couple of drinks in you, you, you might be willing to dance at the office party. You know what I mean? I, I'm not much of a dancer, but if I get a couple of drinks in me, you know, uh, I'll start doing the, you know, the, 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 the crazy mama. And uh, anger does this in another weird way, is that when there are times where you're frustrated that you can't get your point across, and you just start, you add some anger to it, and people go, okay, got the point. <laughs> got your point now. You know, why don't you step outside, count to ten, and, you know, you, you get called into HR later, and they have a conversation with you about how anger in meetings like that is inappropriate, but boy, you feel, you feel, yes, yes, I, oh, I like this. It's easy to do that. We should feel empowered as people, but we should feel empowered because we are beloved children of God, and that we can't, he loves us, period. But anger can do something to us that's really weird and sick. And there's a lot, of, there's a lot surrounding us that encourages that, directly and indirectly. And it's not a healthy thing. So how do you deal with this? This phrase, if you want to learn how to deal with anger, the, the phrase that Paul warns us with, where he says, and listen carefully. Jesus often said this, okay? He said, if you have ears to hear, hear. Listen. And what he's saying was, right now, if you're on your phone, now's the time to listen to John. If you're thinking about what you're going to do after church, now's the time to keep your mind from wandering and pay attention. Because I promise you, this is where the rubber meets the road. And this is the hardest part of what I'm going to say. Jesus said, I mean, Paul said, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And now that sounds like just a warning. It is a warning, but it functions in two ways. I think he's also pointing to something that they all knew about and that we know about as followers of Jesus, that Jesus himself gives us not just that he gives us the ground for why we can learn to deal with anger, but he also shows us how to do it. So the night that Jesus was betrayed, after, you know, after the Lord's Supper, after they had the Passover, he went to a garden and he prayed. And he took some friends with him and he said, pray with me. And then he prayed, God, I know, Father, I know that you know, you've got a, a plan for me, I've got a job to do, but if, if it's possible, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will. And he prayed and wept and grieved. It was, a, it was just an awful, painful experience. And this was a model. He was being tempted. And there were, there, was, there were two people who in a garden a long time before who were tempted. But he didn't bail. They bailed. They, the devil tempted them. You can be like God. And this is the weird thing about anger is anger can make us play God. It can make us feel like we are God. It can give us this illusion that distorts our thinking. 
He was about, he knew who was going to betray him. He knew, Jesus knew what the events were going to, what events were going to unfold and what was going to happen to him. And he was grieving it. And he didn't avoid it. You see that? He didn't avoid it. And I want you to take this point away because I'm going to explain the point now. What's caused by suffering, our anger, can only be cured by suffering. So if you want a simple solution to anger, there isn't any. If you want a painless solution to anger, it doesn't exist. You have to do two things that Jesus did. And you can see it on the cross. So after he wept, he was betrayed, arrested, tried twice, beaten twice. Then he was crucified. And when he hung on the cross, you see him expressing forgiveness towards the people that hurt him. Now, I want to, let me explore something with you. Back up just for a second. If you're ever, if you're ever going to deal with your anger... You have to identify what's under your anger. You have to figure out, why am I angry? And most of us, the immediate, our, our immediate conclusion is, I'm angry because this person is doing this to me. That's true. But the question we have to ask is, is that all that I'm angry about? Is there anything else I'm angry about that's mixing into this? And frequently, most of the time, there is. Because we... In, in order to deal with our anger and the suffering that comes with it, we have to face suffering. And we are champions of avoiding suffering, and so we don't deal with our anger very effectively. And we don't, we don't experience God's grace because of that. So anger is a secondary emotion. You guys, just raise your hand if you know that. If you don't know what it is, I'll explain. A secondary emotion means anger isn't the issue. It's what's causing the anger, which is hurt. Some kind of pain that you've experienced is making you angry. Do you think that Jesus, when he was hanging on the cross, was angry? Not a trick question. No? He was human. I think he was very angry. When people hung on crosses, it was a public spectacle. People would come and mock them. People were mocking Jesus. Do you think he just thought, oh, this is so cool. Look at all the people. They're all worked up. This is all great. You know, God's in this. No, I think he was angry inside. The two thieves on either side of them, they were cursing at the people. This is what happened when people were on the cross. They would spit. They would curse. They would scream at people because they're suffering. When was the last time that you were really cranky? Besides this morning on the way to church. <laughs> Think about it. When you're cranky, you're not the best version of yourself. And usually you're cranky because you were tired, you were sick, you were stressed. That tends to make us be cranky. I think it's safe to say when you're getting crucified, you might be a little cranky. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. I'm just saying we have this naive view that Jesus was up there and he was just like, oh, this is, you know, I can just see heaven. It's all wonderful. I'm totally, it's an out-of-body experience. No, it was in-body experience where he totally felt all the crap and sin and pain and the judgment of God and all the mess. He felt it. He felt it for us. He didn't avoid it. See, this is the thing about overcoming anger is you have to enter into it. You have to enter into it and ask, what is underneath this anger? And it's not easy to look at. 
It's never easy to look at pain. What's, the, what's one of the first things you do when you get a really bad, like just say, hypothetically, you know, there was a, I was, I was cutting an apple and, oops, I stuck the knife through my hand. What would I do? I would go, oh, you want to look away. Kathy cut her finger bad yesterday when we were camping. Uh, and I went, oh my gosh. You know, I mean, it just, it, it, it was like she was peeling an apple, you know, it, it just went from one side of her finger all the way around to the other side. I just, you know, I didn't want to look at it. Oh my gosh, we want to look away. We have to stop and look. Now, I'm not trying to take you to one of those places now. I'm just trying to give you a simple way of understanding this is how you can move forward to deal with this anger that's so hard to deal with. And then, what, besides the pain, what is the longing in your heart under the pain? You can see in Jesus as he's hanging on the cross, he first says, Father, why have you forsaken me? Because that's how he felt. Even though he knew that's where he was supposed to go and that God was with him, he felt like you know what. And he cried out to God honestly. He, he, he felt the pain, but he said, why have you forsaken me? What was the longing of his heart at that, at that point? To be secure in his father's love. He didn't feel that at that point, but he knew that was what was underneath it. And then he says, Father, forgive him. And then he goes, oh, but Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he died. Now, he probably longed for all kinds of things up there. But at any given moment, when you're dealing with some kind of pain in your life, there's a longing for love, for security, for understanding, for purpose, for significance, for belonging. Did I say belonging? There's, there's, I think there's six core longings that we all have. And when we're angry, it's because that one or more of them is not being met. In fact, we're getting the opposite of what we need. And it's human to be hurt by that. See that? So we then need to ask God. If it's, sometimes it's not so easy to figure out what's, what am I angry about and then what is the longing in my heart. So you need to ask God. You need to ask God. You need to do this in the company of other trusted, wise people. People that you can be safe with and you can be vulnerable with. And then you need to journal about this and process this and bring it before the Lord and, and stay there with it. Because this is what people a lot of times didn't understand about the crucifixion was, why didn't, you, why didn't, it like, why didn't they do like beheading? Isn't that what, is that, is that like, didn't, isn't it just killing Jesus the job? No, it's, that wasn't it. We had to see part of the, the, the story of the cross is to show us what's wrong with this and how Everything gets resolved. And part of the way that we get things resolved in our lives is we stay in the middle of the pain until God meets us. We stay there in the pain until he meets us. We just cry out to him and say, God, where are you? I'm going I'm to seek your face. I'm going to call out to you. I'm going to trust that you're with me until you come and meet me. But a lot of times we don't. We pull away from the pain and then we go to a painkiller of some kind. It might be something good. It might be something that seems benign, like reality TV. Stop and ask yourself, when you go and get stuck just binging, what is it I'm doing this for? I mean, I'm wasting a lot of time just looking at people whose lives are pretty messed up. And although they're really entertaining, or they, they, wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't hold our attention like that, but what's going on inside me? I need to step back into that discomfort. And stay there before the Lord and ask him to meet me there. And, and ask other people to meet me there. 
And the context of all Paul's, this, this whole teaching is in the context of a community. Like in truth, he said, speak truthfully to one another because we're members of one body. And so he's saying this is not supposed to be something you do on your own. You're supposed to do it with a group of people. Now, the problem is we're so used to, we want happy messages. We want happy music. We want to be entertained. And to be entertained on one level, listen to me, to be entertained on a certain level is to be distracted. It's to be distracted. And so we distract ourselves, and sometimes we come to church we, want to, we seek out things that will, that will help us to be comfortable. And does God want us to be comfortable? Yes, but how do you get there is the important question to ask. And the cross is the symbol of our faith because it's the heart of our faith. It's the heart of where life comes from. It's the heart of where life that's messed up gets straightened out. But it is ugly. It's, it's almost unthinkable. How could God be in this? How could God be in this mess I'm in, the pain I'm in? He will meet you there. But, but we're going to have to let go, like Jesus did. We're going to have to let go and say, I have, I have to, I'm going to choose not to let the sun go down while I'm angry. And so what, what Jesus did there, he did two things. He identified what was under his anger, and he brought that to God. And then, he expressed his anger and pain and need to God in the company of other people. Now, he was alone right there, but he wasn't alone. He was expressing it in the company. He expressed it to God in the company of other people. Now, in one sense, he was abandoned, but there's, there, were, there were a few people there, that the, the women, of all the people that left him, the women were at least there. And he poured his heart out to God. What is caused by suffering can only be cured by suffering. But it really can cure it. It really, really can cure it. But you have to step into suffering and say, I'm not going to avoid it anymore. And, and, and the third thing is that we don't see it in the cross per se, but in the, in the time it took for the cross, this, these two steps, identifying what's under the, the, the anger and then expressing it to God, they're not one-two. There are one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. They're a process. They're steps in a process that you go through over and over and over until all of a sudden, hey, I'm not mad about that anymore. My pain in that situation is gone. We are just living in this culture that is taking distraction to a PhD level. And it is so hard to... Do it, what Jesus did. But if we do, we find life where we didn't find life before. So what's your takeaway today? You know, for some of you, I suggest your takeaway is, you say, i got to accept my anger as a gift. Anger's not a bad thing. Some of you, were, you feel bad about anger. And I think the next step for some of you is, you need to accept that anger is a gift from God. Pain is a gift from God. God forbid we don't feel pain. And anger should stir us up. If someone's mistreating you, you should feel angry about it. It's normal. It's healthy to feel angry about it. It's not normal and healthy to punch them in the nose or, or, or you know, do something else that, that's wrong that makes a bad situation worse. But a lot of times, we've been discounted as people. Your feelings have been discounted. And God says, 
I don't discount your feelings. Your feelings and how you're being treated matter to me. I'm down with you being angry about this. Just, and this is the takeaway, some of you have to begin to realize you're not justified in all the anger you feel. You're not. And you need to repent. Some of you need to walk away today from this gathering and go to people and apologize to them for blowing up at them over and over and over. And you may not stop doing that for a while, but you should say to them, I'm so sorry. I've unloaded on you over and over and over. It was wrong. I hurt you. I don't even know how badly I hurt you, but I, I want, with God's help, to change. I'm not promising I'm never going to blow up again, but I'm promising I'm going to try to come back and apologize, and I'm going to work on this, because I feel bad for how badly I've made you feel. You will never stop experiencing out-of-control anger unless you start repenting, too. Just, just saying. And then some of us, we need to stop ignoring our anger and start doing what Jesus did, which is look underneath it and then express what we find when we look underneath it to God, honestly and freely, in the company of other people, until we resolve it. And we need to be willing, some of you need to be willing, you've got friends who are angry, and they're struggling, and you need to help sit with them, and help position them to experience God's grace, to find out what's underneath their pain, and then express it to God. It wasn't pretty to watch Jesus do what he did, and a lot of people couldn't handle it. But if you're a real friend, you'll handle it. You will sit there. You'll stick with them. You'll provide guardrails for them so they don't go off the cliff. But you'll walk them through that. And I think, the, as you're, you're going to see, the Spirit of God just is all over honest anger. He's all over exploring why we're angry. He's all over expressing that anger to God and all the good that comes out of it. But I promise you, if you walk away from this today and you go into some mind-numbing thing, mark my words, you need to stop and say, I for sure have some anger to deal with. I've got some stuff to look at. Because it's a sure sign in the world when we probe this deeply into our hearts, you know, on a matter like this, and you go right into avoidance, you're avoiding it for a reason. So I just encourage you. Uh, hey, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Uh, Adam, where are you? I saw him out there. You know that, th th that uh, one of the songs you did in the set, uh, Come Sinners. Yeah, come as you are. The truth about who you are is this. You may be someone who really struggles with rage, someone who doesn't apologize often for what you say and do that hurts other people. But if you're a follower of Jesus, if you put your trust in Jesus, you're a beloved child of God. That's the core of who you are. And what this does is, this truth should never shame you. What it should do is it should reaffirm to you that the one that paid a price for you has made you a completely different person inside and he's inviting you to become who you are. If you put your faith in Jesus, you're a beloved child of God and that Jesus is living his life out through you. And if you will embrace honesty and openness and transparency and vulnerability and come and meet him over and over at the table, you will become 
who you are inside. Jesus says, like the, the best parents in the world are supposed to look at their kids in those many moments where their children look anything like, anything but human, and go, I'm not going to do anything but see who they're going to become and who they are. And I'm going to call that out. It doesn't mean you don't give them boundaries and you don't correct them. But if you don't see who they're going to become, you're just punishing them. And you're not training them up into who they're going to become. God sent each of you in the world to express a little slice of his amazing nature and glory and goodness. Because that's all any of us can express. But it, you are a gift with gifts from God. And in Jesus, you're supposed to now become like him. And you can. You don't have to shrink back from anger. You can press into it like Jesus did. And it, this, this will do a work on you. This will... This will do a real work on your heart. But compassion will come out of it. Patience will come out of it. Understanding will come out of it. Love will come out of it. You're going to see things that you can't see right now where you're stuck. But Jesus says when, 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 when we offer these elements of bread and wine, that we're proclaiming his death until he returns. That in the name of Jesus, your sins are forgiven. In the name of Jesus, you're a new creation. In the name of Jesus, you're becoming, you're becoming like him. And I want to encourage you, as you take these elements today, take them, not the physical elements. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's not a ritual. It's Jesus we're meeting. It's Jesus. This is a covenant moment with him. So we're going to sing this song. I like to just, as we start singing it, the folks are going to pass out the elements. If you could come grab them and put them up here. And, and just sing this song with us. Go ahead and stand up. And the folks who are going to pass out the elements.